What's up, Rocks Roots listeners? Thanks for tuning in. This is a two-part episode. First part is going to be with our keynote speaker and guest of honor for the Farm and Food Symposium happening November 9th and 10th at the Centennial Hotel here in Spokane, Rick Clark. He is a farmer from Indiana who's going to be talking all about regenerative ag practices at the conference. The second part, we're going to be sitting down with Scott Gale, the biofarming manager at the Spokane Conservation District, as well as Ty Meyer, the production ag manager for the Spokane Conservation District. Those departments are the ones who have come up with the Farm and Food Symposium this year and talking about everything from agronomy to consumer awareness to producer marketing. I hope you enjoy the episode and we'll look forward to seeing you at the conference November 9th and 10th. This is Rocks to Roots, a podcast presented by the Spokane Conservation District. This podcast series is intended to share education and resources related to land management, conservation practices, and celebrate some of the great stewards of our land here in our region. Thanks for tuning in, all you Rocks to Roots listeners. I'm Hillary, your host for this special episode of the Rocks to Roots podcast. And joining me today for as my co-host is Ty Meyer, the Projection Agriculture Manager for the Spokane Conservation District. Good morning, Ty. Hi, Hillary. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, uh, our annual podcast with our uh, keynote speakers for the Farm and Food Symposium coming up in November. Um, Ty, I want to give you a chance to just introduce yourself and talk about production ag uh, department for the Spokane Conservation District and also maybe uh, talk a little bit about the biofarming program as well. Yeah, you bet. Thanks, Hillary. Uh, Ty Meyer, uh, production ag manager for the Spokane Conservation District. Uh, Rick, it's great to have you with us today. Uh, our program at the Conservation District, uh, we, we focus on a lot of direct seed and no-till programs. Uh, loan a lot of money out to farmers in this region uh, to help them transition over to direct seed and no-till. And then in the last five years or so, we've started a, a biofarming program that's really focused on regenerative agriculture implementation and, and trying to help farmers in the region at a large scale uh, uh, to really do some transitions, to, to uh, think about how they're using uh, synthetics and things on their farms and try to do some transition away from that to cover crops and biological inputs. And so uh, that's why we're really excited to have you today and, and here in a few weeks, come out here and join us in Spokane. So, Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. I, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it's going to be a great conference. Thank you. Yes. Well, and so as we mentioned today as a special episode of Rocks to Roots, we are talking all about the Farm and Food Symposium that's happening November 9th and 10th at the Centennial Hotel here in Spokane, Washington. It is a two-day in-person conference that brings together progressive farmers, biological regenerative ag companies, scientists, investors, consumers, you name it, all these industry influencers to share experiences and best practices 
for regenerative farming. And before we introduce our guest speaker and um, keynote speaker for the conference, I just want to give a shout out to our sponsors for the conference this year, uh, the Washington State Office of Farmland Preservation, Northwest Farm Credit Services, Soil Craft Regenerative Agronomy, Spokane CDs Biofarming Group, and also Farm Smart Regenerative Ag Certification Services. But without further ado, I'd like to introduce Rick Clark, our guest of honor for the conference this year. How are you doing, Rick? Oh, I'm doing great, Hillary. Thanks for having me on today. And where are you tuning in from? I am tuning in from the combine seat today. We are cutting beans in West Central Indiana, uh, organic beans. Uh, so this is, uh, it's a good day today. Awesome. So Rick, I want to give you an opportunity for those um, that may not know a whole lot about you. Um, tell us about yourself and all your background in um, agriculture. Sure. Uh, I am a fifth generation farmer from, from West Central Indiana. And uh, we farm um, corn, soybeans, wheat, alfalfa, peas, milo, cover crops, cattle, sheep. Uh, all of these things we're doing on the farm currently. Uh, we have been on a regenerative uh, journey probably for, I guess, about 15 years. I didn't realize it was regenerative when we started, but that's kind of the term we're using now. Uh, but we have gone from... Uh, full tillage, I mean, full, you know, fall tillage, spring tillage, all of that. We've gone from that to all uh, cover crop no-till. Then we went all cover crop no-till, non-GMO. And now we've gone into, we're in the fifth year of uh, all no-till, all cover crop and organic. So let me, let me restate that. We are organic with no tillage. So this is very hard, very difficult, but if we can get that, that biomass that we need from the cover crop going, that is the, that's the, the, the power of suppression of the weeds, and it, 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 it's going to work, and it's working now, Hillary. I think, I mean, personally, I think every soybean in the world should be grown with the cover crop of cereal rye even if we're using uh, some chemistry, I think it, it, it just, those two go together so well. Well, Rick, we have heard nothing but um, great things about you. Um, our keynote speaker last year, Ray Archuleta, um, sent us your in contact info, highly recommended, <laughs> um, because well, you. of your um, low input costs also while maintaining increasing yields. Um, so very right. excited for you to come and talk to our producers you have two keynote sessions that you're going to be um, uh, presenting at the conference. The first one is Change is Good, Making the Switch to Regenerative Agriculture. And the second right. one is Benefits of Regenerative Farming, Why This Method of Farming is a Viable Systematic Approach. Um, so without giving too much away, can you kind of just tell us what those um, subjects will be covering and some of those standout features that you're excited to bring? Yeah, um you know, that first one, change is good. This is what's hard. Um, you know, we have to be so careful that we don't, we're not here to offend the way anyone is currently farming. To be careful that. And you understand that. And then you come to like a conference like yours and you have so many good speakers going to be there. The hope is that, that 
that farmer or, or whoever the person is sitting there, they walk away with one or two ideas and take them back home to their operation and then incorporate those ideas into their, their current operation. That, to me, would be success because then, you know, you've asked that producer to step out of his comfort zone or her comfort zone and try something different. And then I think it's also imperative that, that we make sure that the teaching is in place because I, I, am, I am convinced that if the farmer does not have success the first time they try something different, they probably won't come back to it. So it's so, so important that you have folks like Ty there or, or other folks in that area that can help with the, the support, let's call it, of when, you know, when your conference is over and everyone's all jacked up and ready to go. And, and then three months from now, they said, oh, wait a minute. Well, that guy from Indiana say, did he say do this or do that? That's why it's so important that we have this support group there to keep that, that going. That'll be kind of the first session. Then the second one, I'm just going to say that we're going to go through a lot of the economics of what we're doing. And, and I'm just going to say this one line sentence here, Hillary, and then we'll just leave it there. Right now, we are using zero inputs on our farm. And right now, we are currently saving $2 million a year on input costs. Wow. So let's just stop right there. Mm -hmm. That's enough sand, right? Well, and Rick, I love what you said about, um, you know, having a support group and being able to, um, you know, collaborate with other growers um, across the nation. Um, I'm curious, where, right. what other conferences have you been at recently? Um, about four weeks ago, I was in Sacramento, California, and uh, I spoke to about 150 uh, farmers there. And believe it or not, um, this is what, these are, okay, I know I'm jumping around a little bit. You always are looking for things that validate what you're doing, okay? I am standing in a, in a conference room of about 150 farmers, and the first thing I'm thinking of is, why is a guy from Indiana who raises corn and soybeans, wheat, alfalfa, doing in California, talking to growers that, that are tree growers or fruit growers or, or or anything like that. I mean, I asked how many folks in the room raised soybeans? Nobody raised their hand. How many folks in the room raised corn? Nobody raised their hand. But at the end of the day, the message is the same. It's following the principles of soil health. It's being a good steward to the land and it's building human health. And it doesn't matter who the message is going to if you follow those principles it resonates with anyone. So mm -hmm. that kind of validates that you don't have to be just uh, a corn and soybean person to be attending these conferences and taking something away that will help you in your operation. Rick, have you got, uh, because you're talking to so many people across the country, do you see common themes popping up that uh, are keeping people from adopting this? Um, I, yeah, I'll tell you what, the biggest thing is that back to this education and support group, what I'm finding is 
that everyone is really excited. They, they like the message that, that I present. And I think, I think one of the main reasons why is because it's coming from a farmer who's doing what they're doing and they can relate to that. But then it's that, it's that fear factor of, oh my gosh, what am I going to do if this Sir Rye gets to be five feet tall? I don't know what I'm going to do. We're going to have a disaster and, and I'm lost now. That is what we need to help overcome because there, there are so many other little pieces of the, of the equation that are falling into place. For example, RMA, who's in charge of determining what rules will be bound for multiparal insurance, they are really looking hard at our practices and they are recognizing that these practices are okay and that they are relieving some of their rules and restrictions so that they don't get kicked out of their insurance program. It's stuff like that, that that's really coming on board quickly. Yeah, so them being able to to remove some of those crop hurdles uh, or the hurdles for insurance yeah. programs. And um, we see it out here in the Pacific Northwest as well. Uh, just trying to figure out how to how to incorporate these cover crops into an annual cropping system. And so, uh, you know, but I think one of the more important things that, that, that we get to hear from you is just the message that this can be done. Uh, yeah, that's the difference is we're still seeking that that first real win out here. And and so that's what excites me about the opportunity to have you in front of our group that that you are a, a member of that you're a peer of these guys. Right. And, and yeah, I think that's what will be exciting for them. Yeah, that that's it's a big deal. I mean, nothing against a a Ph.D. or nothing against those folks, but it, the message just does not resonate the same as another person that's doing the same thing they're doing. It would be no different than if I went to a PhD seminar and tried to talk about biology. They're not gonna take my message as well as they would from an expert. So, you know, that's okay, that's okay. Now, uh, the other thing I wanted to mention here was, and I'll talk about this at the conference, but I have gone all the way to one side of the extreme here. We have taken all inputs away. We're organic. We're no tillage. It's all cover crop. It, it's, it's all of these things. Now, you don't have to do what we're doing, and that's okay. The maximum return that our farm has seen per acre is when we reduced inputs 60% and we were 100% no-till, 100% cover crop. So we were still using a little bit of chemistry and a little bit of fertility. That is when we were knocking it out of the park. Anyone that is going to come should be able to achieve some portion of that 60% reduction. Yeah, what a financial impact for a person. I mean, there's there's two ways to make money, right? To uh, To increase yield and price on your crop, but also save money on your right. inputs. Yeah. And the other thing that's so, I mean, the world we're in right now is so fragmented and, and so unclear, you know, price may not be the factor this year on inputs. It may be availability. So all the more reason for a farmer to start learning 
how to be less dependent on inputs. Because I'm telling you right now, we have not put any P or K on our farm going on nine years now, and there is no reduction in those levels in that soil profile when we take a soil sample, none. In some instances, the levels have even increased. But again, it's not just because you're gonna plant cover crops, you've got to let these go to maturity and really crank on what they can bring to the, to the, to the game. And again, I've got charts and we're gonna go through all that stuff uh, at your wonderful conference. Um, Ty, I also just kind of want to give you the opportunity because, I mean, this has been a year in the making. We've kind of modified the conference a little bit. Um, tell us just a little bit more about some of the other components of the conference that you're excited about that um, the production ag department is um, bringing. Yeah, you bet, uh, Hillary. This uh, this is really an opportunity for us. Rick, you'll get to see kind of how we run a conference out here. The uh, last year was our first attempt at really walking people through a, a systematic process from agronomy all the way to the consumer. And yep. uh, we had a, a an amazing response from people. It, it really was a neat format. We're not doing breakout sessions. Um, we're keeping everybody in front of the main group uh, for the whole two days. And then because we believe the message that's coming is is that important that that everybody should should participate in all those sessions. And and so we're really excited about that opportunity again to have you with us doing a couple of those those keynotes. Um, we've got some great farmer panels that are coming in from our biofarming group that we have uh, that that are our large scale farmers in our region. Uh, dryland farmers that are really the ones kind of spearheading this effort out here in the PNW, and and then we'll walk through some additional components all the way to uh, some investors and and folks that are looking to try to help uh, move some infrastructure portions of this forward out here in the PNW. So uh, it's an exciting uh, opportunity again to to really walk people through a process that we think uh, really needs to you know, needs to be adopted from the farm gate all the way to the consumer. And, and you mentioned it. I'm curious your take on this a little bit more, Rick. You talked about the link between soil health and human health. Yeah. Um, it, it seems like we're figuring out that what we do on the farm has a little bit more to do with human health than maybe we originally thought. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a given that we can show increases of nutrient density in the products we're raising based on how they're being raised. That, that's a given. So yes, I, I, I'm extremely excited. There are so many people getting involved in this movement now, and there's a lot of money coming behind this movement. There's really gonna be a lot of answers found in the next four or five years to really take this to the next level, maybe sooner. Well, and Rick, you did um, touch on it just a little bit earlier, um, just about how it's so important to have, you know, a vast demographic of people at these conferences. It's not just for large scale yeah. farmers. It's for consumers. It is touching on human health. Um, we also have the pleasure of having uh, Dr. David Montgomery and Anne uh, Beekle. They are authors. Um, they just, uh, they, and actually yeah. all of our attendees will be getting a copy of their book, What Your Food oh, Ate. Yeah, so really talking about nutrient density and that human health factor, um, but kind of elaborate a little bit more on why it is so important for consumers to be in the same room. 
Yeah. Um, I, you know, we used to just go to the store and you didn't really pay a lot of attention. You just grabbed whatever you thought you needed and you threw it in your shopping cart and you went and, and, and checked out and went home. I, it's not like that anymore. The farmer is, or I'm sorry, the consumer is really looking at that label. How many carbs are in there? How many sugars are there? Where's the sugar coming from? Is this a good fat or is this a bad fat? I mean, these are things that they really seem to care about now. And, and if I have time, I will talk a little bit about my personal journey. I, I have not done well personally to my own body. I have cared so much about building the, the health of the soil and whatnot that my, my eating habits have turned me into a type 2 diabetic. But the good news is I've changed my diet drastically. We only buy organically grown food, and I am no longer on insulin or any medication, and the sugar's under control. So this can happen. We can do this. We just have to be a little more uncomfortable. I mean, that's how I end all of my, my speeches are. If you're not uncomfortable with what you are doing, then you are not trying hard enough to change. Now, just think about that for a minute. It doesn't matter what you're doing in your life. If you're just cruising along and hitting the easy button, that's not good enough anymore. You've got to step out of your comfort zone a little bit and, and, and create change. And I think you'll really be pleased with yourself when you try something different in your life. Mm-hmm. Well, and one of the other things that um, Ray Archuleta really brought last year was this whole concept of um, instead of working against nature, working with nature. Um, can you kind of yeah. talk to us about that and your experience with working with nature? Yes. Um, what we're finding here is when, you know, one of the questions I always get asked is how can you raise non-GMO or organic corn with, with no, no help, you know, no insecticide, nothing. Well, once you stop applying all of those inputs that are killing the beneficials, in other words, start working with Mother Nature and start heading toward balance, then you don't need corn rootworm protection because the beneficials are in place to keep the rootworm at bay. And that's how you start to work with mother nature then. And you will see this as you start to reduce inputs. It may not happen in that very first year, but you will see it soon in years two or three for sure that, hey, we can start to back off these insecticides or, or these fungicides and all of these attributes that are harming the beneficials. I mean, if you go out and target an armyworm, one species, you go target that with a, a particular chemistry. I don't know what it is anymore because I don't care. But if you target that, you're going to wipe out a thousand beneficials at the same time. It's not worth it to me. You have to be heading toward balance. So then you can start to take all of these inputs away. You just don't 
you know, you don't farm one way today and then you say, okay, you know, I'm going to come to Spokane. I'm going to hear this, be at this great conference. You know what? We're just going to switch and go to regenerative tomorrow. It doesn't work like that. You've got to roll slowly into it and then start to let the system work for you. Yeah, Rick, you know, listening to, to you on some of your other uh, podcasts and things, you know, recently it, it's become pretty clear you found a a a system and a set of equipment that works for you. You've you've gone to green seeding yeah. and and that's a little different concept than what we've got out here. I mean, we're so used to the the you know the old way of doing things, right? We have such a brown period around here from when harvest ends to when the next right. growing root hits the ground. Uh, it's a total change of mind or shift in, in thought process. Yeah. So, and I'm going to tell you, this is one of the most, ex this is one of the most exciting things that I do is to come to different parts of the country and speak because I don't have a clue how you folks do things up there. And that's fine. Because again, if you follow the principles of soil health, we will figure out a plan that will work in your area in your region. Now, I may not be, I may not have all of the answers, but we can start to instill a thinking process that will then get more folks like you involved. And then, then there will be answers for all the questions that are gonna come because there's a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, and also I think um, another key thing is instilling hope that it can be done change is good. Yep. <laughs> so, um, well, Rick, I want to be respectful of your time and you're out on the combine at the farm. We're so excited to have you come up to Spokane in a few short weeks. <laughs> um, yeah, Ty? It's, it's going to be, it's going to be great. Thank you. And I got to get, I got to get Spokane, not Spokane. <laughs> I apologize. I'll get it right. <laughs> no worries. We've heard it before. We've heard it all before. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Ty, I'm sure. anything in closing for Rick? Uh, just, just wanted to say we're we're really excited to have you, Rick. I think your message is going to be uh, amazing for our farmers to to hear out here, and and uh, now we're we're really looking forward to seeing you. So appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Thank you, thank you. It's it's going to be great. See you, see you folks in about three weeks. Yes. All right. Well, listeners, make sure that you head over to SpokaneCD.org for the Farm and Food Symposium happening November 9th and 10th at the Centennial Hotel. Uh, we have Rick Clark, who's going to be there, our guest of honor, keynote speaker with some great messages for all of us. So make sure that you go and purchase your ticket. Early bird pricing ends on October 26th. After that, prices will increase. Um, so make sure you head over there now and snag those tickets. Well, Rick, we'll see you in a few weeks. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. And joining us now on the podcast to talk more farm and food is the Spokane Conservation District's biofarming manager, Scott Gale. Thanks for being here, Scott. Well, thanks for having me, Hillary. 
Um, it's a pleasure to come on and talk about the programs we got going on at the Conservation District and how we can spread the word of biofarming. Yes. And um, before we jump into that, I want to give you a chance to um, tell us a little bit about what you do over at the Spokane Conservation District and how you got started there. Um, I came to work for the Conservation District in 2015. We started a small acreage program trying to help the, the small landowners with um, all the noxious weed problem, for lack of a better term, on 20 acres, um, 10 to 20 acres. And then we really had some um, things come up on the big ag side where we wanted to change the way we're just noticing trends and different things changing in farming, and we wanted to kind of run that out more on the holistic side, more on the microbial side. We were seeing things happen oh, from different parts of the world, the Gabe Browns of the world, the Rick Clarks of the world, the um, uh, Dr. Johnson, the Johnson Sioux bioreactors of the world. So we just kind of kicked the biofarming group into gear in 2017, sounds about right, and that's where we go, and I run it. Nice. And the biofarming program is also a, is a branch off of the production ag um, department as well, correct, Hey, It is, yeah. Yeah, we run the production ag department. Scott and I are the, the two employees of the production ag department. So uh, we've got a focus on large tract ag in the region. And that transition uh, that, that Scott talked about a little bit with the biofarming group is, uh, was a natural fit within our programs. Mm-hmm. So we're here to get people excited about the Farm and Food Symposium coming up November 9th and 10th. And our keynote speaker and guest of honor this year is Rick Clark. And I kind of want to jump back a little bit and talk about kind of the um, evolution of the Farm and Food Symposium. And um, it has changed over the years. Um, it used to be a two-day um, in-person conference, which it still is two days in person. But there used to be 40, 50 different breakout sessions, and those were kind of more related to homesteading and those types of topics. Um, talk to us now about how the Farm and Food Symposium is programmed um, like this year and why it was important to kind of switch it up. Yeah, I, you know, the the, the approach we've taken uh, the last couple years, Scott and I did a lot of outlining this program with you to really figure out how we could engage the crowd and keep them engaged with one message that we really felt was important. So uh, really delivering a single track conference that, that keeps people engaged on a, a line of thinking that, that we really want to take them down, that we believe is a, a pretty valid approach to walking all the way from agriculture production to consumption at the consumer level. Um, Scott's probably got some other thoughts on that, but it, it seems to work well. And I think we've really evolved into a point where this, this really attracts the large scale uh, farmer to really think differently about uh, their system, whether it's from agronomy or how they market their commodities. Um, the whole, basically Ty and I go to a tremendous amount of ag conferences and um, we might've seen the same thing once or twice over again over the last 10 years. So what we really wanted to do was focus on seed to market. That was the whole deal, right? If, if farmers are going to get some version of 
their checkbook back, some version of power back, some version of something. A lot of those, the middlemen were put in there a long time ago for very specific reasons, just economy of scale. You, you had to have people specializing in certain things. And so now as, I mean, all of our farmers own fleets of trucks, we can all go to elevators. We can, we all have rail access now. It's kind of quite amazing. So how do we get the best seed in the ground and create a product that is worthy, worthy of you and I and our kids and grandkids eating. That's, um, that's a really big portion of what we're trying to do. I do a lot of talks and, and, um, you have kids or you have grandkids and that's something to think about. So we really rode, drove this around that concept from the best seed in the ground. How do we get the best plant to get the best food for us? So so what are some standout features of the conference this year that um, each of you are excited, really excited for? Oh, I think I think the one I think it's all going to be good. But um, David Canals from Apical is going to do a talk on what 10,000 SAP tests this year have taught him about the state of agriculture and where we're going and kind of the cliff that's coming. A big reason we started this was because we sat around in a room for almost five years ago and said there has to be a better way. We didn't know, but there had to be a better way than what we were doing. And um, one of our guys said it best. How do we reduce fertilizer? We have to reduce it 50%. That's got to be our starting goal. We agreed. So David is coming to do a talk on what 10,000 SAP tests, because he gets, uh, I think they're in most states now, countries, stuff from South America. But really, he gets this broad scope view of what's going on in the state of agriculture. And it's quite scary. (laughs) (laughs) So everybody wants to um, do, you know, figure out the carbon market. I I would honestly say we should figure out a little bit more on the humanity side first and the carbon market will fill in later. But I think David's going to do an absolutely fantastic talk on the state of agriculture today. Yeah, it you know the lineup is pretty impressive, really, as you look across the the agenda for the conference. And and I, you know I'll go back to uh, I mean our keynote speaker Rick Clark. Uh, you know last year we had Ray Archuleta here, and when he left, we asked him who his next best person would be. Who would he recommend to come and talk to a group that's really trying to transition into regenerative ag practices? And he said oh, number one would be Rick Clark, and because of what he's doing. And so I'm really excited to hear that message. I think his message about change in agriculture is needed. I think farmers have to uh, have to really look in the mirror and say, am I willing to change? Am am I going to keep up with the times or I'm going to, you know, continue to do uh, what I've always done. And so I think Rick's message will be a key one. Uh, You know, we've got David Montgomery coming and, and, and Ann Bickley. And I think, you know, that's going to be tremendous for people to hear this. This gets right, cuts right to the heart of the whole nutrient value of our food and, mm-hmm. and what we've potentially done in agriculture over the years to impact the, the, the quality of our food. And Ty and I just came back from a <clears throat> conference in Denver and we spent two or three days talking about nutrient density and what does that mean in regenerative agriculture and what does it mean, um, David Montgomery's new book, What Your Food Ate, should be required reading before you can start a tractor. Um, it is absolutely amazing what, and, and not out of 
malicious intent, right? Farmers don't wake up in the morning and say, today I'm going to destroy something. That's not what happens. They did what the government promotes. They did what extension promotes, what, a, what academia promotes. And we've been in this green revolution now for this ex- social experiment since the early 70s. It's not working out so well for us. But David Montgomery, and he doesn't have a dog in the fight. That's the best thing. It is one of the, and I read a lot. It's one of the best books I've ever read. And it's completely about how our food and how our soil got here from modern farming practices and how our, how our soil first and then our food. And we are what we are, what we eat, ate. And it's, it's literally that simple. And I don't really care if you're a vegetarian, a vegan or anything. That Whatever you're eating, ate something. And so um, David's, number one, a fantastic speaker, incredibly intelligent um, and a joy to be around. So I think, and then Ty, maybe you would like to talk about um, Vache and the, and the Personova. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's some t- opportunities we get uh, in our programs to really be out on the cutting edge of agriculture. And, and Scott and I had the opportunity to meet uh, Vache. I won't pronounce his last name, um, but he owns the Personova company. And it's really a, a, an amazing thing that, that has you know, we've had the opportunity to build within the district, and it's one of his watering, water systems, the reverse osmosis and water structuring. And, and uh, I won't begin to uh, tell you all of the science behind it, uh, but there's a tremendous value in cleaning our water and using it on plants because they, uh, they crave clean water, uh, what we've done in agriculture and the world over the years to uh, to add different pollutants and things to our water systems and things has a direct impact on how our plants grow. And so Scott had the opportunity we took to build one of these systems, and, and we've, we're fortunate. We've got Vache coming to talk to this group and really talk about what that thing does and the value of it in agriculture. It, it, it's going to have a major impact on agriculture in this region. And if, if you start a tractor for a living, pay for chemicals, farm modernly, start a sprayer, run a sprayer, I don't care what, um, you need to be at this conference solely, if you don't believe in any of the rest of it, to listen to what Vache has to say. When you hear the amount of chems and money we have cut out of this system is absolutely staggering. Um, so we'll go with that and... We'll let Vache explain the science. <laughs> well, yes, it really is a spectacular lineup. And um, uh, everyone can view the conference schedule now. It is published and it is on the website. If you head over to SpokaneCD.org, um, look for the Farm and Food fl- logo on the front on the front of the website and click there. You can go and get all the information about Rick Clark, about the conference schedule, um, and then go ahead and register there as well. So I kind of want to jump back to biofarming and I want to talk a little bit more about the whole program and just how it has also evolved over the last few years. So tell us more about biofarming for Um, those that haven't heard that term before. (laughs) um, So, well, I needed a name right before the first meeting. (laughs) That's, that's literally where that came from within 30 seconds before the first name, like, Oh, we have to have a name. Biofarming is what we're doing. Um, So really what we're doing is we're, we're shifting the paradigm. I mean, there's agronomy is not going away. People need help. It's not going away. Um, conventional fertilizer to a degree is not going away. That's not the goal of this. To, there's, there's, a, there's a little bit of fear factor going on that we're trying to 
run a lot of the conventional fertilizer and chem guys out. You know, we're going to have rat tail fescue. We're going to have, we're, we're growing a monocrop. Crops don't grow monocrop. Um, you need a little bit of fertilizer to push them on. Do we need 200 units? Absolutely not. Can we do it a little differently so much? Yes, we can. Um, so cost reductions is our big thing. Switching from a real chem synthetic heavy into microbials. Um, carbon, my God. Um, there's the other part that David's going to talk about in this. And everyone's, what is carbon? That's like saying I drive a car. Like, well, what year, what kind, what color, what does it do? What's it for? Carbon is the same way. So David's going to talk about, here's the state of agriculture, and it's not very good. How do we fix it? And you got to start out with carbon. And it's just how do we take the, 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 the products we have now, buffer off the bad, and feed the good. That's, that's the shift. So we're going to talk about farming systems. We're going to talk about cost reductions because if we're not saving money, the dollar you save is the easiest dollar you'll ever make in your life. Um, I was listening to a guy today from Nebraska um, who is saved $163,000 in nitrogen cost alone this year off of starting to use carbon and microbials and just absolutely fast, fascinating stuff. Um, so the biofarming really started with that. How do you get a bunch of like-minded guys together with a common goal? And you can't be a naysayer. If you don't believe this will work, good luck on your journey. I wish you all the best. But if you have 0.01% interest in what we're doing, I have days to talk to you. Ty has days um, to talk to you and we can make these things happen. <clears throat> but it's really just a lot of people want to take their old farming system, pull out, there's 10 things. They want to pull out one and just plug one in. The biggest failure of organic on large scale is I want to take away synthetic nitrogen and plug in soy protein hydrolysate, or they want to plug in enzymatically digested fish. And until you've been covered with that, you don't know how good that stuff is. And <laughs> um, so it's, it's a lot of using different products, our goal is not to change East the PNW into an organic hotbed for the universe. Maybe it'll happen. That's up to the farmer. Um, how do we create a better program that works with carbon, works with microbes, and instead of the, instead of extracting, um, actually building back? And and I did a talk here a little while back, and it was basically only microbes are going to get us out of this deal. Period. End of story. Um, if synthetic nitrogen was going to get us out of this deal, it would have a long time ago. We wouldn't be in the spot we're at. Organic matter's going down. Topsoil's eroding. We all know the drill. Um, No-till is a tool. Um, all the guys in our group, no-till, or very large percentage of their ground is no-tilled on maybe um, on a regular basis. Just different tools, techniques, and we do a tremendous amount of trialing. So I spend a significant amount of time talking to people from all over the world about what worked for them. If I found them, they did something good. What worked for you? And then how can we bring it into our environment and our context? And that's the other problem with most farming systems. They're like, oh, well, I'm just going to repeat the number one knock on Gabe Brown from a few years ago. We saw him at a conference is it won't work here. Well, just take the damn principle. It'll work here if you just pull the principles out. Can you do exactly what he did? No, his environment's completely different than ours. But we can take the we can take the principles out. So once again, we're trying to do a new system, create a new system that works in conjunction with the farmer, that takes some of the stress out, makes farming fun again. There's a novel concept that brings kids and grandkids back to the farm. Um, I would say in all the talks I do, that statement there gets the biggest response from the crowd. 
the average age of farmers, Ty and I were at a meeting last week, Denver, that said the average age of farmers was 59 or something like that. And it's been 59 for 10 years, so we know that number's wrong. Um, <laughs> there's no young kids coming back to this game. How do we do it? Are we going to just turn them all into factory farms? Or are we going to actually have something that's worth doing that creates a product that makes us healthy? Yeah, and I, I you know, I'll add one thing, just kind of going back to the foundation you know, of, of this, the program. And that is that uh, what we're really doing, it, it's a peer, we're, we've got a peer to peer network put together of farmers mm-hmm. that, that want to change. And, and Scott's doing a masterful job of walking them through a process of, of transition. And that includes cover crops. It includes biologicals. It includes some synthetics right now. Mm-hmm. We can, we know we can't just cut them off flat and, and think we're going to succeed in any capacity. So uh, it really is a place for people to go, to be part of, that they can sit in the room and feel confident with each other, that they're all on a similar path. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, our, our goal is to start new classes every, I don't know whether it's every year or, or you know, how that'll shake out over time. We've got two groups of farmers right now that, that control a lot of land on the Palouse and and eastern Washington, and and so they're not small farmers. They're they're large tract ag owners that uh, don't need to change, but they want to change. Mm-hmm. They see that cliff that Scott's talking about coming, that they've maybe lost a little control over the farm. They're they're spending a lot of money in places that maybe today they don't quite understand why now, um, and uh, maybe they're not seeing the results from some of those things they're buying and putting on their ground, and so. Maybe I, I think they're starting to question it a little bit that, like Scott said, maybe there's actually a better way to do this. And and the answer might be, I kind of like to say that it's going back to the future. Um, it, it's really their grandfathers did it. They were doing it. You know, the, the 59 and a half, 60 year old farmer, his dad and his grandpa were doing this. They were using cover crops and their own nitrogen and things. And the advent of, of synthetics really changed the trajectory of, of farming and I would say our whole food system. And, oh. and now we're starting to question maybe how that, uh, how that has impacted us. Mm, so. And then, and then um, tools like grazing. Everybody wants to put a cover crop down. The number one thing you hear in the country is, oh, I'm going to grow a cover crop. What the hell does that mean? Um, where do I even start? Oh, I have to set out a crop cycle. I have to set out a revenue year. What does that mean? And when you say, well, we're, we're building fertilizer for the future, true statement, but as many, the, the statistics, I just heard this again the other day, 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Therefore, we could extrapolate that 70% of farmers live paycheck to paycheck, and that, you know, which is year to year in a farm cycle. Um, how do we get cover crops to build future fertilizer well why wouldn't we want to capture some of that gain also through protein and grazing and in the words of one of my best friends who lives south of town we stood out inside of his yard looking over a very large field and he said let me get this straight i spent my entire life ripping fences out and you want me to put them back i'm like yep that about sums it up so (laughs) that's the start we have to start somewhere um and then the second part of that is really interesting. We were, we had went south down by Pullman last year during harvest, and we were with a group of people and the farmer who was farming this piece of ground. It was a 320-acre piece of ground, 320 acres, and in today's farming world is nothing. doesn't even exist, right? It pays rent. Um, he informed us that the people who had he had purchased that from, um, they had... Um, 
had a couple who lived there, who put their kids through college, who had a retirement, who had, who had, who had off of 320 acres. And this specific farmer was farming roughly, we'll call it 3,500 acres. Um, and it was just amazing. And he went through some numbers and this was fantastic. Cost adjusted for inflation and just, um, oh, I can't think the word off the top of my head, but wheat, he, they were cutting 65 bushel wheat in 1960 off of this piece of property and adjusted to, today, to, to today's dollar, it was 20 bucks a bushel. 1970, they were cutting 65 bushels. Today's dollar was worth 15 bucks a bushel. 1980, they were cutting 65 bushels, adjusted, it was like 12 bucks a bushel. Last year, they cut 85 bushels and it was worth about five, four to five bucks a bushel. And he's like, who's crazy? So we have to change some of this because we can't keep getting bigger. Getting bigger is not the answer. Machinery prices are out, are out of control. The million-dollar combines are rolling out. The million-dollar tractors are rolling out. That's not the end. You can't find any labor even if you wanted to. So we have to go back to creating a little bit different system, coming at it from a different way. So we got a bunch of guys together and said, you want to be part of a think tank, a brain, you know, it's a mastermind group. It's a brainstorming session. It's the whiteboard, get it down, get it out, and go. We have meetings that'll last for two days straight. And um, and they we get some good stuff done. So that is kind of the genesis of the biofarming program. So I kind of want to talk about the group a little bit more because I think that is just such a awesome component because I think that farming has been looked at as a very lonely um, job or, you know, just a very lonely lifestyle. And so to have a peer to peer group, um, you know, who, who are like-minded and you want to tackle something that they know is important. Um, so are they, are these guys going to be at the conference? Um, are they on each other's farms? Do you guys, are you doing trials and will you be sharing some of that information at the conference? Um, so yes, we, um, we do routine meetings through the year. We do a couple field days through the year. Um, they will all be, should all be at the conference, although planting season, as we know, it's October 18th-ish and is running really late. <laughs> so harvest was really three to four weeks late. Planting's late. Hasn't rained. It's supposed to snow by Monday. God only knows what's going to happen. Um, but they'll be there to talk to. They'll be there on farmer panels. They'll, um, they'll be there. You cannot go at this game alone. You just can't. I mean, it is just vicious out there. And, you know, um, it's really interesting. A lot of people that hear the Gabe Brown story and Gabe Brown did this and Gabe Brown did that. He did, but he had a hell of a lot of help in the, in the scenes behind. No one ever brings up Jay Fuhrer. No, you know, these different people from NRCS and, and, um, that you you just have to have a tribe. So we assembled a tribe that um, tag that that really is open, honest, and unedited with each other. Yeah, I you know I think yeah Scott hit that one perfectly. I you know I want to go back just kind of talk a little bit more about uh, you know this group. We talk a lot of agriculture, no doubt. I mean, we talk about farming. We talk about the agronomics and how to achieve things in the field. Uh, what what is missing in a lot of agriculture right now is just the family and mm -hmm. the fun and the health component of agriculture. And, and that drives back to some extent to the quality of the food we produce, um, you know, and, and 
you know, we don't get into heavy discussions, you know, it is at this stage still a group of guys sitting around a table, right? But but there are components of having a peer-to-peer group that help people talk through situations, finances. Uh, we do talk finances and everybody's open about their books and, and, and what it costs to do some of these things. And, and that component uh, to me is just vital. Uh, we're, we're losing that in agriculture. And Scott mentioned it. Uh, we got to put the fun back in farming because uh, if it's all about about money and finances, nobody's coming back to do this game. <laughs> and right now, we can change that whole scenario. We can we can actually change the paradigm. We can get guys a little bit more control of their land, maybe a little more control of 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 their situation, their family, their kids, their fun, the things that they do and and enjoy. They should have fun doing this. And I, I would hate to know how many farmers out there just, this is a, a job, it's stressful, uh, it's hard to, to manage the finances and the marketing and all those things. And, and so this is our attempt at, at really getting people in a room and, and tackling some tough issues and at the same time working on, on a, a transition on their farm. And we've got a tremendous group of farmers that are really engaged in that. Let me, let me just say one more thing about that <clears throat> and the example, the kind of the, the visual I give everybody during talks is, is like the clock face, you know, just the old clock face, 12, blah, blah, blah. And like agronomy is like number three and that's all it is. And this life of farming, agronomy is like number three and everybody wants to talk about agronomy, agronomy. How do I grow more? How do I grow more? I'm here to tell you growing more isn't necessarily better. And it, and how, what good does it do you if you grow more and your wife won't talk to you or your kids won't come home on Thanksgiving because grandpa's still ruling with an iron fist from the Thanksgiving table. We all know these problems exist, but no one wants to talk to them. And and there's an old saying that, you know, all the darkness in the world can't put out the light of a single candle. And so what Ty and I've really tried to do is just create a space where people can have this open, edited, honest conversation. And the, really the interesting thing, it takes guys a while to, to figure this out. But once we give them that space, um, everybody says I talk a lot, which is true. But when when we get to these meetings, it's such a great roundtable because everyone's, they have someone that they can that believes in them and that they believe in and that they can talk to because we're all having the same damn problems. We're all having the same problems. So if your problem in this week is number six on the clock face, half the guys in that room have that problem. And, and that's really back to Ty said the peer to peer group. It is as important, if not more important than any, we just facilitate. That's, that's really we and the whiteboard facilitate. (laughs) (laughs) So Anyway, that's what I'd like to say about that. So would you say that the overall um, message or mission of the conference is to get like-minded people in the same room? And if that is, are you guys expanding the biofarming group? Are you seeking additional farmers to come? Yeah, I I mean, so if we look at the conference, certainly we want to have a lot of farmers in the room. Uh, As Scott said, if, if you're out there, uh, on a daily basis and you're getting in a tractor, a combine, whatever it is, and you're concerned about input costs, you're concerned about the direction, the amount of money it takes to farm these days, this is a good place to be because you're going to hear our keynote speaker talk about some numbers that are even hard to fathom that he is saving by going to cover cropping and regenerative ag systems. And he is not compromising yield on his farm. So 
if you if you're sitting at home thinking that it's not possible, well, look in the mirror and ask yourself if I might be wrong because there's people doing it. And so and I, if, I, I and think if you that's don't want to go to the the extreme that he went to, Ty, look at the numbers guys are going to talk to just about using the Personova system. Just one one little aspect. One thing where you're saving. not walking away from chemistry yeah. or synthetics. We're doing we're doing a ton of stuff. Don't get me wrong to buffer the bad and feed the good. But we're we're running fifty percent in 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 crop trials on yeah. thousands of acres with ungodly success. Yeah. So everyone cut their chem bill in half this year and go tell me what that number is because I know what is I know what a lot every well actually I know what everyone's budget is on Kim's in our group. That's yeah. a staggering amount of money. It is. Yeah. And so I, you know I think you know that's a maybe a longer answer than you wanted for are we trying to expand the the conference and get farmers there but but absolutely we this is a conference for farmers it's also for anyone interested uh, across the spectrum from farm all the way to the consumer and we're going to have investors there people that are talking about how yeah they there's a lot of money sitting on the side in this country trying to figure out how to invest in regenerative agriculture and we want to help them because this is a capital intensive system Farming in general is a transition in the middle of this to regenerative ag takes capital and we need to figure out how to work together on it. Uh, to, I guess to go back and answer your last question to that is absolutely. We're going to expand the, the biofarming system, the program. Uh, we'll do that in classes. So, you know, we've got current groups going right now. One's been going three years. Another one just started last spring. And, uh, you know, we'll add a few people to those if, if there's an opportunity to. Uh, but we'll start a new class if we have enough interested people. Uh, because what we don't want to do is, is take somebody that's new to regenerative agriculture and insert them into the three- or four-year-old group and expect them to understand or, or be able to keep their head above water. Uh, these guys are really moving um, in that first group and they're making big strides. And so we want to work with people to, that are in any stage of that process and take, walk them through it. So yeah, we'll start a new class when it, when the demand is there to do it. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, I just want to thank both of you for taking the time out of your busy schedules to come and sit down and talk about the conference. It, like I said, the lineup is just stellar. Um, really looking forward to just hearing hearing the caliber of speakers that you got lined up. So um, for those of you, there are a few spots left. Um, limited registration spots available, but head over to SpokaneCD for Conservation District.org. Look for the Farm and Food logo. Click there and you can go ahead and register online. Also, if you have any questions about the conference, please feel free to reach out to us at info at spokanecd.org. Well, we'll see you guys at the conference. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Rocks to Roots is sponsored by the Office of Farmland Preservation. Office of Farmland Preservation is a program within the Washington State Conservation Commission that works to address the rapid loss of working farm and forest lands in our state. Together, the Washington State Conservation Commission and conservation districts provide voluntary, incentive-based programs that empower private landowners to implement conservation on their property. You can learn more about their programs and services by visiting their website, scc.wa.gov.